0: I'm Pinky. And I'm Lucy. And you're listening to Thank Folk for Feminism.
1: You are. And what a week it's been. We've all just heard that uh, lockdown restrictions aren't being eased for a further month. How are you feeling, Pinky?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's not surprising, right? And for lots of us, Mm -hmm. day to day life doesn't potentially change a huge amount. You know, I guess it's great that we're putting safety of, individuals and the nation first and foremost but I guess within that you know we're also still losing quite a lot of stuff aren't we particularly for individuals in our industry.
1: Yeah certainly certainly a bit like you really I I never thought June the 21st was gonna happen so um so I I kind of you know it makes sense and everyone's safety is a million percent my priority but uh it's probably worth noting that yeah it is gonna be another very strange summer for the music industry and um and it's been like planning on sand for so many venues and festivals so we just wanted to give a shout out to all of those brilliant Artists and organizers that have been plodding on, and ask you guys, our fabulous listeners, to uh, not lose heart when it comes to supporting your favorite artists and venues um, in all their online endeavors and the small bits that they might be able to be putting on live. Because now's the time, really, for us to, um, you know, eh, what's the word, just really throw ourselves into the joy that we can have safely at this time.
0: Yeah, and, you know, to think about all of those brilliant things like online gigs and live streams, etc. right? And hopefully we'll see a few more of those take place over the next month to help fill that void.
1: Yeah, I hope so, I hope so. And I know it's not quite the same, and I say that because I've just had my first gig in months and months and months and months, and months this past weekend, and it was awesome. <laughs> it really was amazing. So I'm well aware that um, that live streaming isn't the same, but it has brought a level of accessibility and um, and connection that we just wouldn't have had otherwise so we are lucky to live in a time where that can happen but on with the show we have a cracking double whammy planned for today two back-to-back interviews with tremendous women in folk music whose careers have been forged while working in creative partnership with their husbands
0: yeah, absolutely. And first up, we talked to Catherine Roberts about how she and husband Sean Lakeman approached songwriting, parenting on the road and growing up as part of the folk scene with Supergroup Equation.
1: And we chatted to Debbie Hanna, one half of multi-award winning Brit folk duo Megson, about her and Stu's unlikely route into folk music and writing songs which reflect the society around them.
0: We both hope very much that you enjoy listening to these chats as much as we enjoyed recording them.
1: Hi Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Hiya, it's lovely to talk to you both so excited that you could be here one of the um uh your records that you put out with Kate Rusby I think was your first uh album was like the album that got me into folk music so I feel really privileged that you come and spend some time with us today. Wow gosh that's quite a while ago. It was a good sort of 20 26 years I think
2: possibly even more. Yeah I hate to say that it makes me feel really old
1: but but yes that was one of the first things I ever recorded with Kate it's very it's a very powerful record and I am um, I got gifted it for by a by a friend in a folk club for you know this poor wandering teenager that had no idea <laughs> of the music they were missing out and uh, I always quote it as being quite influential um to me so yeah I'm really excited to oh, be here and well you you mentioned that you've been in this industry for 25 years now and through that time you know your career has looked like lots of different things you've been part of lots of incredible projects toured all over the place and I wondered if you'd walk us through your journey uh to coming to folk music and uh you know a potted history of the years that followed I'll try and
2: keep it succinct um I'd mainly come, i come from a, a folky background, so both parents are, are very heavily involved in the folk scene, but more on the dance side, so I did grow up visiting many festivals, like like so many others, and I'm being involved more the dance side of things, but enjoying the, the kind of after dance-out sing-arounds, and that kind of group singing thing, I loved all that, but at the same time, both parents are music teachers, so I learned to play my instruments classically, and I, I never dreamt that I was going to be a musician. They swore blind I would be, because they're musicians. I swore absolute blind. No way. My teenage rebellion was, nope, I'm going to be a doctor. Um, but that <laughs> just kind of went by the by. I, I had a year off, actually, after my A-levels, thinking, oh, I'll just, you know, see see what I really, really want to do. And I accidentally fell into performing with Kate Rusby. Um, and we'd been friends for years, all our childhood, and just kind of went, oh, just sing a bit together, see what it sounds like did a few gigs and thought, I kind of like this, this sort of works. And and I kind of had that mental uh, approach of, I can always take two years out or possibly three or four possibly. And I just, I never went back. When I discovered that actually quite enjoyed folk music and, and I could make a living out of it, it seemed churlish to push it to one side. So I fell into it by accident. And then we worked together for, only for a couple of years actually, Kate and I, um, but then when we were at Sidmouth Festival one year, we met up with the Lakeman Brothers. The three of them were playing there and uh, we just became friends. Because at that time there were there were less younger people on the folk scene, I would say, performing anyway. So we all kind of, mag- we were like magnets and kind of you know pulled towards each other and hung out. And we formed a band together and that went through various incarnations, which included Kate at one point, and then Cara Dillon joined. And then she and Sam, the middle Lakeman, left to form their own band and they got married and Sean and I eventually got married. But (laughs) so we we went through a fair few ups and downs, but with Equation, we actually, we toured for about 10 years, mainly in America, which was amazing. Uh, To have that real kind of hands-on, nose to the grindstone touring experience where you are gigging every night for three months with horrendous eight or nine-hour drives every day and sleeping on floors and you know, things that I couldn't contemplate doing now. There's no way I could handle that kind of touring now. Um, but it was amazing. It was a really formative period of m- my life as a performer because you really had to learn stagecraft really fast because every time we turned up somewhere, we didn't know what we'd get. We didn't know what the, the audience would be like. We didn't know what the venue was going to be like. And it, and it really it varied so vastly that I had to very quickly learn how to kind of read an audience. Um, so that worked, that was brilliant. And then we eventually, we we stopped in 2004 because our electric guitarist fell in love with a Californian girl and moved to San Francisco. So I kind of ended that one. Um, but around that sort of time, Sean and I, he's, he's the oldest of the Lakeman brothers. And um, we'd been together as a couple for about 10 years. And um, when Equation finished, the band finished, we decided it would be quite nice to do some duo gigs and kind of return to the roots and start doing the folk clubs again. And it was marvellous and, and, and that, it worked really well. We did a couple of early albums and then Sean started doing much more production work which coincided with me falling pregnant with twin girls. So I was really fortunate to be able to take time out from the music business. For about three or four years to actually just purely focus on being a mum, which was really very privileged because at that time, Sean was working with his younger brother, with Seth. So he was in kind of good, steady, regular employment. And I, I didn't take it for granted that fact. I was really privileged to be able to just not have the stress of juggling everything all at once. And it was quite nice to have some time off for music actually, at that point, just to have that, to step away for a minute or two. And it meant that by the time I actually got back to playing after three or four years, I was really ready for it. I couldn't wait to get back out and perform. And and during that subsequent, and the four years of being at home with the girls was when I really developed ideas of songwriting and, and gained the confidence actually to put my own songs out there. Prior to that, I'd always been a little bit kind of reticent, a little bit nervous of putting any part of myself out there. um But it was really there was something about that time at home that made me go, actually, do you know what? I'm strong enough to do this. I, I don't care what anyone else thinks. Now I've I've gone through having
3: twins. I can do this. <laughs> I
2: mean, basically, you know, I felt brave and and that when we finally got back to working again it, it was it was like a new lease of life and we did manage to start juggling a little bit so and and that's what we've been doing basically since about I think 2012-ish when I got back to working we've just been juggling the kids touring making albums writing songs and I've, I think we, we've managed to get a good balance so that's that's kind of up to date to Where I'm not sorry, I've probably
1: bored the crap out of everyone there. (laughs) No, not at (laughs) all. I think there's so much. What I took away from that is there's so much power in kind of organically following what is good, what inspires you creatively, and what Mm. and that balance, right, of um, your home life and your family life, and kind of allowing it to sit in balance with the music and not feeling pressured to do any um you know more just just following what feels good and I think you know in terms of being um listening to your music and I'm sure you know listeners to our podcast will have heard um you know uh, uh, stuff you've done over the years I think that kind of joy of being creatively inspired at each point it really Mm -hmm. kind of oozes out of the recordings and um it was just yeah brilliant brilliant to hear thank Thank you.
0: you Yeah, and I guess within all of that as well, right, you started to touch on that dual dynamic of your relationship with Sean in terms of, you know, you're a couple, your parents together, you perform together, you know, every aspect of your life in many ways is kind of meshed together. How do you balance that with the two of you whilst keeping your own identities?
2: Um, I, I would say it would go right back to the very beginning before there was any romantic relationship between us we were really good friends like just very very close good buddies and I think on that foundation of friendship everything we've done ever since always comes back to that because it means we know each other so well so we've we've just developed a way of working that is qu- respectful of each other but also neither of us feels like we have to tiptoe around the other's sensibilities anymore you know if I'm working with someone else I'm I'm quite tactful I would say I, you know if there's something I want to say I think about how I'm going to approach it and because I don't want to upset anyone or I don't want to say it the wrong way Well, Sean and I are in a place where we know each other so well that if if he doesn't like something I'm doing he can just say it and I know that he doesn't mean it in an offensive way or if I don't like an idea he's got I just think no nah, that's no good no nah, am not doing that and but I don't have to explain myself anymore yeah. but I think that's just born out of having worked together for so long so the work side is is very almost easy I think because working with my best friend is great but then that also we're, we're quite good at having a, a balance between work life and home life and I think also because we do the same job we understand what it's like to go away for periods of time and then be home for a big chunk of time. So when we are home, it's not like um, i I never feel like I'm taking on that, that mental burden of, <clears throat> of being the one who runs the household on my own. You know, it's not like it in this house. It's not like it's my job to do all the housey things. It's very, very split evenly. So we have, we have a really good balance. In that respect, and I do know how lucky I am in
1: that respect. Well, sad, right, that we should have to say lucky in that scenario, because yeah. what you're actually describing is a supportive team, yeah. and that's and, and both in work and life, and that and that is lucky for both of you, right? Lucky for both yeah. of you. Yeah. <laughs> but it it should you're right. It should be
2: the norm that, that it shouldn't be something that I'm going. This is quite unusual yeah <laughs> that everyone and and that kind of split and whether you're in a a heterosexual relationship or, or a same-sex relationship it doesn't matter it's that if there's two people they should both be taken and, and, and it's not to say you know um we we sit down and go right I've done these chores so therefore you must do those chores it's about going well all right I'm I don't mind cleaning the bathroom. I'm quite good at cleaning the bathroom, but I hate hoovering. I detest hoovering. <laughs> so Sean's really good at hoovering, and, and but he likes to. And, you know, it's that learning what your strengths are and what you don't mind and playing to it and
0: accepting it, I think. Yeah, and as you also said, right, it's that... <laughs> insight isn't it of you know seeing stuff there's a brilliant cartoon that exists somewhere on the internet of how women just really naturally fall into that like oh yeah there's something on the stairs so I'll take it up as I go up the stairs and when I get to the top of the stairs I'll see the washing baskets overloaded so then I'll fill the washing basket and take it downstairs and as I'm going to load the washing machine I'll see that there's the washing up on the side that needs to be done so I'll do the washing up whilst I'm waiting for the dishwasher to finish or whatever it is you know and that like women are coded to see
1: all of that stuff i must put a disclaimer out i actually was not born with those gifts (laughs) (laughs) and um and in our house everything you're describing is the exact opposite i'm i'm the lazy one entrenched in backwards patriarchy And Rob does it does all the housework. So yeah, just you know, it, it can be a, it can be teamwork or it can be, you know, women yeah, really yeah. letting the side down. We must, you know, have <laughs> the balance here. Yeah. I don't know. I think
0: we need more women
1: to let the side down on that. Basis. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking he's going to be editing this thinking, I can't believe she didn't speak up. <laughs> uh, so sorry. <laughs> just
0: <laughs> no, I love it. I love that every now and again I say something, Lucy, and you're
1: like, no, you're wrong. No, <laughs> like we can, we can, we can, I'm it. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm quite sure that is right in a more general sense, but, um, you know, some of us have ascended to a messier place. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we should all ascend to a place. Everything.
1: But it's just so interwoven, isn't it? Life and work mm. for everybody. And I think when you're a musician, because your work is so mm. much a, a personal offering, that that kind of space between life and work is all the more intertwined. <laughs> and and then working as a couple, next layer, of course, on top of that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I guess within that, you were talking about kind of that, you know, your approach to if you're, you know, writing something together, it's much easier for you as a couple, right, to say that's Mm. not working. But how do you make sure within all of that, you were talking about, like, after the birth of your children, finding your own voice more. Mm. How do you work together in a way that creates something coherent that's either a joint narrative or an individual narrative that's respected by the other person? What does that process look like?
2: When it comes to songwriting, it, it tends to take the form of I will, I do most of the lyric writing or certainly the the start, the bare bones of a story I want to tell or uh, an emotion I want to put across. It, it That first point always comes from me and I have a big folder that I just fill with lyrics and it, eventually at some point I'll just kind of sit there and go, right, okay, have a look through this folder and pass it over to Sean and say, and pick, pick a few, pick anything that kind of immediately leaps out at you. So I suppose in a way he acts a bit of, is a bit like an editor in a way. So I will throw lots of things out there and say, right, what appeals to you at first read? So I'm kind of thinking ahead as to if I was sat in an audience and you're listening to something for the first time, what grabs you? So he's my first port of call. I'm going, right, what, what do you think might be interesting here? What should we pursue? And then pick a few ideas and I tend to take it away. And I I do. I tend to squirrel away and work on lyrics on my own. It's one of those things I don't know. I'm, and I know everyone works differently, but I tend to edit and re-edit and kind of obsessively, almost to the point where it's probably unhealthy, but I get it to the point where I can't bear for anything to be changed then because I'm so invested in it but luckily mostly so far (laughs) that's word so far that's worked and and I think probably because I spend such a lot of time making it right so I'm happy with something then it also passes the the Sean test and when we get to that stage he's you know he's not he's not even necessarily um my musical partner I can approach him at that point with his producer's hat on mm. because he's worked with so many other bands and he's, he just has a kind of unerring instinct for what's good and what's not good. And sometimes he can't, if there's something he's not overly keen on, he can't necessarily say to you, well, it's because of X, Y, and Z. It's just, uh, mm. just don't, don't really feel this. And I trust him enough to go, okay it's not going to work I'm not going I'm not wasting time going down that avenue so once we've got these lyrics that's when we really work together and it's it's kind of thrashing out coming up chord sequences and melodies and and just seeing what works you know but that's I, I really feel it's one of those things actually that when we're on stage together I've always and I've never had to ask him to do it but I've always been really pleased about the fact that if he's introducing a song, he will always, if it's one that is purely, purely my lyrics, he always makes a big point of saying, Catherine wrote this song. And so she wrote these lyrics when la la la. You know, we always take it in turns to introduce things anyway, so, but he's always been really specific about that. Um, and I've always been quite grateful for that because you know, I, I'm sure as with most people who perform on the folk scene, well any music scene actually you do get the occasional person who just thinks you just you're the one who stands there and sings it and you're told what to do and he always made a big point of of crediting me for that and I'm, I'm grateful for it because yeah people do presume that he writes all the songs because he's the man
0: but isn't it he that equals thing isn't it it's that partnership aspect that you've talked about before it sounds like Mm -hmm. what the two of you have is that real sense of shared ownership for the music you create but in a way that's respectful to where the work has gone into it right which is critical for keeping a good relationship and a friendship well it's
2: been important for me to feel that kind of going to use the word validation but that sounds terrible to say I'm looking for validation from my husband but I I value his opinion so highly as a musician and as a producer that when he tells me that something's good, I believe it. And it encourages me to then want to do more. You know, it, 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 everyone feels that. When someone praises you, you feel good about it and it gives you more and more confidence. And I think that's, that's one of his huge strengths in the partnership is that, yeah, I wouldn't say bigging me up but it is he's always made me feel really confident and I think that's so important in any relationship is to have somebody who is supportive of you because the more confident you feel then the more confidence you exude and you do you just achieve more when you feel good about yourself I think
1: yeah yeah you do better stuff don't you and and as well as um as it being like just tremendous that you've got this kind of supportive creative um relationship and way of creating together i think the fact that sean makes a point of pointing this out means that he is very aware of the kind of the view of um Mm -hmm. kind of couple male female partnerships um as as it has been viewed Um, you know throughout the history of duos (laughs) And, and it kind of everything you were saying led on to this question that I wanted to ask you about you know at times where you've been disadvantaged or overlooked because you've worked primarily with your partner, your male partner for um, mm-hmm. your career. And uh, so you've already kind of said, you know, the view that you may not write the songs. Do you, is there any, are there any other kind of uh, stories or anecdotes or things that have gotten you go over the years?
2: Only, uh, nothing major. And this, this is always the thing I find with a, a lot of women. When you, you start to ask these questions it's always it's you almost have to dig deep to find those tiny insidious things that actually mean so much more when you put them all together and and, and I've never felt like I've had any major issues but just little things like we're doing some rural touring a couple of years ago and there was an elderly couple sat on the front row and I overheard them at the interval the, the the chap was saying to his wife, "Well, of course, you know, she's just the face. She's just the face. He does all the work." And I was about to leap in, but his wife sat there and said, "Didn't you listen to a bloody word they said? She wrote all the songs, and he helps." Her. And I thought, actually, you know, things like that. And and I know that's also a generational thing. But I, I cast my mind back to touring in America, and we we had a very a, it was quite an early website, I suppose, back in those days. <laughs> um, and I remember that there was a, a comments section. And it was mainly for people to request songs or say they had a nice time or have you. And I remember someone, we used to sing a traditional song called The Cuckoo's Nest, which by its very nature is full of double entendre. And, you know, it, but it's fairly obvious what it's all about. And I can I remember someone had just commented. And they said, I said, "Oh, saw you play last night in wherever it was." Said, "I'd really like to get my hands on Catherine's cuckoo's nest." <gasps> and I thought at the time, oh. you know, it, maybe they thought they were being funny, but it was uncomfortable and it was sleazy and, mm. you know, it, it was all it was awkward. And I, I was in, a, the, I was the only girl in the band, which was never a problem. I, I actually. I was just one of the gang. You know, we all did everything quite equally. They were a pretty good bunch and and I wasn't allowed to skive out of carrying all the heavy stuff, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But equally, they weren't allowed to skive out of selling CDs and, and, you know, being public-facing, as it were. Um, But it made them feel awkward as well. You know, it's just... And it is just those little things, people feeling they can comment. Or I, I remember another... I think it's been taken down now but a really old video of Equation from the really early days somewhere on YouTube and someone had just commented saying oh I can see her nipples do that top and you're like no, dude, you don't have to say that maybe you could I wasn't doing it on purpose I've got no control over that bit but there's no need to comment on those things and and it's one thing I find in a way that the last few weeks and and the discussions that have been opened up and the awareness that's been opened up about the things that most women have to just put up with and we have just put up with for too long certainly my generation you know if someone was inappropriate you just kind of went god whatever let's just get on with it let's just walk away and do something else but now you know as the mother of two 13 year old girls yeah I don't want them to have to put up and shut up about it and it has it's given a really great opportunity to be able to talk about these things with them, and 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 it it does it tickles me to death because one of them came home from school last week saying, "Oh my, my friend was saying was chanting the whole mantra of not all men behave like that," and she was one of said, "Well, I gave him what for? I explained him." So she said, "But I explained in a nice way. I didn't want to make it aggressive and and." But I I said, you know, I just want to make you aware of why people feel like this. And I was really proud of her for for taking it on board because it it is it's and I was chatting with a friend the other day just out for a walk. And and we were both saying the same thing when we were we can both remember the first kind of the first time you you feel like someone's been a bit inappropriate to you and it, it sticks in your mind and it's uncomfortable and and you know I don't want our girls to feel like that ever and and you know specifically in the music business there has always been a that that notion that you know you, you might be a you're not necessarily a singer you're a female singer or it's an incredible novelty if you're a female guitarist you're not just a guitarist and and I would hope that by the time they're a little bit older there'll have been enough awareness and discussion and just people relearning that's not how you behave you don't have to make that distinction I don't know I I hope it it continues with that
0: sort of momentum and the thing is that you know every conversation we have I think comes back to those Microaggressions, right? Those really small Mm. behaviors, which then layer and layer and layer, and before you know it, that's what starts to facilitate a lot of the bigger issues. And so it is that question of, well, actually, how do we, you know, how do we as women get to a point where we're less willing to just go, oh, that is what it is, you know, and accept it as the status quo? And how do we get our allies to step up and recognize that? it's those little things that are unhelpful and that's where the kind of not all men stuff becomes problematic because you know all men benefit from a patriarchal society so sure they're not all you know perpetrators of abuse i don't think anyone's saying that but they're all benefiting somewhere right from the privilege that they exist with
2: yeah it's a difficult one and i think possibly it 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 will be a a few years like starting from the younger generations now who are not going to put up with it in the same way they they know that it's not the right approach to take and and yeah I think possibly retraining retraining the old dogs is always harder than training the puppies
1: <laughs> as it works. Well put, well put. <laughs> but it's that thing of um, uh, you know internalising it, and we've spoken about this with um, a, a few sort of female artists that have come and spoken to us about how it's very, it's very hard to um, stand up for yourself in a situation where you feel uncomfortable anyway there's fears of making it more uncomfortable there's you know just the thing that we're not used to having to say things and also sometimes just the shock that it's even mm-hmm. happening at all can mute you in a way you would never expect you know just kind of having a conversation about what you might say to a potential uh yeah. you know person making you uncomfortable or um or worse um and I think that that experience when you're in the dynamic of being a performer at a gig um or a performer after a gig in hosted accommodation or whatever Mm -hmm. it is um can can be even more difficult because it doesn't it isn't just an impact on you it's an impact on how you are viewed professionally and Mm -hmm. it's very hard to know know the line and I suppose this is what you know Pinky just mentioned it's it's for our allies to be so much more aware Mm. of our experience and and step in um when we are unable to raise our voices absolutely yeah no I think that's a very good point it's it's one thing
2: I've I would consider myself quite lucky being part of a, a female male duo in that I haven't had to be in that situation too many times where I I often think how hard it must be to be a solo female performer because it is that balance isn't it of someone could say something to you and you're there thinking well if I respond exactly how I I would like to respond then I'll get labeled as difficult I might not get booked again they might tell someone else that I said this so what do I say do I just let it go and move on to the next thing, or do I pull them up on it and take that chance that they're going to be asking about it? Um, and I, I imagine that is probably quite a, a common scenario.
1: Mm yeah I think so I think so and often it's happening when you've got a bigger job to do right like perform or (laughs) you know speak to a line full of people who aren't gonna treat you like rubbish and what have you and I think because it's in this very sort of like transient setting where you don't necessarily ever get to address these people again Mm. we can be trapped can't we in this place where we don't get to say what we need and therefore kind of allow behavior to continue I guess so um Yeah, (laughs) it's a hard hard one that, as you say, we need to address from the bottom up while we're we're in education and um, Mm. seeing young artists um, come through and all of that kind of stuff. I'm just, sorry, I'm just looking at my list because I'm thinking like, Pingu did you have anything to add on this or shall I go to the next question?
0: Well, I was just thinking there was that like additional layer of it, right? Like you were talking about your daughter challenging someone you know, and saying like, oh, you know, but I did it in a nice way, and I didn't do it in an aggressive yeah. way. Like that's the other labour that women have to hold, right? Is if we want to speak up and talk about some sort of injustice, we're also expected to do it in a way that's palatable for people, and to yeah. not, you know, I've seen many male folk musicians get annoyed on stage with an audience that's talking or misbehaving, and yeah, you know, again, I can only imagine if a woman did that that would be received so differently, right? So there's also that like double element to it of, you know, how do we also get to a place where we as women can just speak freely and actually it can be okay to be angry because what somebody's doing is not okay. And we have a right to say that too, right?
2: I think if if you're in a moment and something's happening, it, it is good, it's actually good to lose your temper and show some anger. What I'm I, I'm trying to kind of get over to my girls is that if you're if you're trying to explain a situation to someone, if they're quite adamant against it, then going in on the attack with anger can actually just make someone put up barriers and go, oh, I'm not listening to that. So I'm trying to encourage them to explain things in a rational way and try and make people almost flip a situation around and empathize and understand and and say, yeah, you know, I might feel, I might feel cautious if I'm walking one of these country lanes and two blokes are walking towards me. My natural instinct is to just check where I am, (laughs) check I've got my phone, check everything, you know, and and to make a, a lad think, well, if you were walking those country lanes and two women were walking to you, Would you feel threatened? You should. Maybe you should. Maybe, you know, how would you feel? How would that make you feel individually? And so I want them to try and be rational in their arguments and they're passionate but rational rather than just go, ah, you're wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you just tell someone that they're doing something wrong they're more inclined to just go for well look just prove me right you're completely irrational you're totally so for me it's about them having good reasons good arguments good explanations and and to to bring people around
1: to a rational understanding of your point of view an empowered position mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I mean, there's. You talked at the very beginning of this interview about um, about growing up in a folky family, and of course, we've talked a lot about your own folky family, (laughs) um, but also, you know, both Sean's siblings and your sibling are musicians as well so uh, you know surely this has a grand effect on the music you're all making and how your daughters are they going to have rebellious doctor phases as well you know what's the kind of like I'd love to hear about the musical heritage and how that feels to have so many people around you that understand your experience of being musicians well do you know what I would say the main thing is everyone always asks us or they'll say to us oh
2: it must be wonderful when you all get together you must all play and sing and all this kind of thing all the time and we never do we just don't when we get together it's purely it's a a family situation and what but the wonderful thing is is that because we all work in the same field and we've all got kids and we all know what it's like we all understand each other so well so you know, if I were to speak to my sister-in-law, Cara, and go, oh, my God, I'm just having a dreadful day. she know, yeah, I know, I know, I know exactly. So she knows just exactly the same pressures and expectations. And so it's that more, it's not necessarily that the music influences each other, but we're all very supportive of the the, the, the family life that goes behind doing what we do you know i think fortunately although we're all in the folk scene we've all got our own little niche if you like we don't play exactly the same venues audiences material even so musically it's it's we have our thing and that's fine and, and we're supportive of each other but it's it's the, the the family level that's the the best bit is that understanding of they they know we all know what it's like to be who we are, I I guess, if that makes sense. Um you know, on, on both sides, even my my younger brother Jamie works on the folk scene as well with his wife Katrina. Um, but our middle brother is a musician too. He just doesn't work in music, he's a plumber, but he plays in a couple of rock bands and it so even although he works in a different scene, he still knows about the music side of it. So it, it helps. And as for the girls, I, I, I think they just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, yeah, of course we're going to be musicians. <laughs> what else are we going to do? One of Sam and Cara's boys, a couple of weeks, oh, it might be last year actually, they were doing, um, uh, what do you want to be when you leave school, what do you want to do? And he kind of shrugged and went, well, probably be a musician. And the teacher said, well, do you know, do you know any musicians? Yeah, mum and dad are musicians. Well, no, forget about that. You know, what about further afield in the family? And he went through the entire family and the entire family are musicians. And like, oh, okay. But I think I, when the girls talk about potentially be, being musicians, I find myself not steering them away from it, but saying, look, be aware. It's, it's a difficult thing to do it is a difficult place to work and and i think it's possibly just going to get harder and harder because of the way i feel like the music scene's going it's live live performance is the only way now really of actually making a living you know with the advent of downloading and spotify you can't hope to make money from recording in the way that you could you know 10 15 years ago so I keep saying to them, look, I, I love that you're playing, and they do. They play and they sing, and they're doing really well. And and I'm really proud of what they do. It's great, but I, I want them to keep at the back of their mind that there actually there are other fabulous jobs out there, the fabulous careers that they can have as well. There are other things to do, and not just to presume that just because we've all ended up doing music that <laughs> it, it's the only thing. You know, I suppose it's like saying the, the children of circus performers would run away and join join the bank or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just want them
1: to know that there are other options apart from what we do. <laughs> we've obviously made it look appealing enough, but yeah, no, indeed, it's a it is a, a it is an adventure. I think anybody that has a freelance creative job knows mm. the stresses and and strains of trying to make it work and trying to keep inspired and trying to keep it fresh. And of course, not just digital um or digitalization of the scene that's against us now, but we work in a scene that's kind of going through a transitional period of mm. what we do with our grassroots venues after the pandemic. Will yeah. folk clubs exist? How many of them will be there? Which, of course, will take out a kind of a huge uh, touring network for a lot of smaller artists, myself included. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really at this transitional place, and uh, I think probably as a as a, a note to kind of end the the interview. Um, like maybe we should explore like what could be to your mind what this is a question we didn't put on the list so it's okay (laughs) if it doesn't (laughs) just like (laughs) (laughs) what have you but (laughs) I think like what could be to your mind you know uh, one one way for the scene to step out of the pandemic times into something more inclusive and better um that might be like uh afternoon gigs so parents can come or mm. um uh, you know more focused on gender balance you know take it anywhere that springs to mind oh well, I almost and
2: and actually we've talked about this a lot over the years you know how how the folk music goes in and out of fashion you know occasionally it's picked up by the general media and and it's popular and then it disappears again. But it's, I mean it's always there but it almost almost needs to be on the verge of being lost. So a whole new generation of people can go, look what I found, this is amazing. We're not supposed to be doing this, but, you know, so it's sort of underground and a little bit dangerous again, and new people are discovering it so that it is something that, you know, people maybe find by accident or or become interested in. I mean, you know, personally, I detest TikTok because of yeah you know, teenage girls, thirteen-year-old mm, girls, and TikTok. I hate it. But it interested me the whole shanty thing a couple of months ago. That is people listening to stuff who would never dreamt of listening to those things previously. So it, it it is that thing of people need to discover it for themselves. I think, and and I suppose when it comes to gigging, one of the best things. that that we've done for a few years now, and I think more should be done, more should be made of it, is rural touring, but not just rural touring, but so you just go into village halls and it is for small, small communities. And that's not to say it couldn't be done in cities as well, but it is, they're purposefully small and intimate. And it's just a, a small group of people sharing the same emotion at the same time which is really powerful um and yeah being able to do gigs at different times of the day and you know the obvious one always is more music in schools which has just has gone down and downhill is it, with availability over the last 20 years or so and that's so important it's just massively important i think but but yeah
0: a little bit of danger would work yeah and i think I guess there's something within that isn't there about how you fuse music into different parts of the curriculum and different bits of people's education. Like I was thinking, actually, you know, I remember seeing Ed Sheeran in the middle of a wood somewhere at Best of All, but Ed did the parting glass. And Mm. I guarantee you that inspired a whole group of kind of 13, 14 year old young girls who absolutely adore the pants of Ed Sheeran be like oh what's this song like you know and see I was kind of digging around online and you could see people originally like thinking it was his song before people started to discover like the roots of it and I guess there's something as well isn't there about how do we inspire that for me the joy of folk music is that kind of puzzle that history that like find a song and then go and dig into the roots of it and understand it more and it's how do we encourage young people to do more of that rather than music just being a nice thing that you consume yeah going for a walk
2: well there's so much so much could be done in, in schools just from the it ties into so much doesn't it when you've got a folk song for example, I, I don't know, you could just pick one about the Battle of Trafalgar or whatever, but it instantly you've got a sense of place and a sense of history and you can look at the poetry of the song and the, the words used and the rhythm and it can lead to so much and be tied into so much, but it's been just put on the back burner progressively over the years and, and the opportunities for kids to be involved in music are just so uh, far fewer than they used to be I think it it, is something that would make a big difference I think
1: for sure for sure and we as a scene right we could encourage and support this by kind of releasing any purest vision of what folk should be so Mm -hmm. for example you know like Mumford & Sons widely detested throughout the folk scene for, you know, taking folk instruments and not doing folk music, but actually, for thousands millions of people around the world it's their first entry into hearing a banjo um, yeah. and you know as you said Ed Sheeran is songs like Galway Girl that are so obviously inspired by his own interest in folk music but definitely mm-hmm. pop can only serve for these roots in for young people to find us so that notion that you said kind of allowing the danger being excited by the danger mm-hmm. and not being afraid of what it will usher into our brilliant inclusive diverse scene that we already have um is is a I think a really lovely note to, to end this interview on so thank you so much Catherine for joining us it's been a pleasure to speak to you it's lovely to talk to you both thank you for having me
0: thank you so much Bye. <laughs> Deb thank you so much for joining us today.
3: You're welcome very nice to be here.
0: So we thought we'd start by having a bit of a conversation with you or getting your sense of your journey into the music industry and I guess into the folk scene in particular.
3: Yeah Um, it's been it's been a journey I didn't expect to be honest not where I'm at now I kind of assumed I would be on the stage doing classical music or musical theatre even. I didn't think I would be somewhere in the folk scene. um, So it's been a a bit of a journey getting here and very much an unexpected one, Um, which has been good though. I do folk with my husband Stu, which most of you probably know. Um, And Stu and I both met when we were um, about 16, I think it was, and we were both in our local youth choir. So we met kind of very much doing I guess classical music but um lots of singing and harmonies and things um she was also in various um, punk bands as well so um we've kind of like got a, a big eclectic mix of um influences and things that we've done um which has been great um so yeah coming into the folk scene it was I was in London living in London and she would come down as well I had just finished doing you know, a postgrad in classical music training so I was training to be a I'd kind of yeah, done opera singing at music college and various things, and I'm um, very much it was going down that road. Um, But we wanted to just do a little bit together, so it's car out, and we would um, sing some songs. And it's kind of it's a lot of your um, classical training when you're doing exams. I don't know if any of you've done music exams, but you have to do like you're doing the piano or violin. You do scales, but obviously when you're doing a singing exam, you you don't do that. So what they do is they will, you have to do an unaccompanied folk song as part of your exam. Um, And I guess that's all to check with how you're you're doing with your tuning and, you know, kind of just singing all on your own. Um, So I had this kind of library catalogue, really, of folk songs that I knew from doing exams. So um, we would kind of take those and and just kind of put them together and um, see how we went. Um, and then, so well, once we had that, we thought we needed to go and do something. So we we didn't even go into any folk clubs. We started off in the acoustic scene in London, um, playing at places like the Twelve Bar, um, the Bedford and Balam, um, various places like that. So we kind of like were out there doing folk music in in these scenes with a lot of singer songwriters doing their thing, and it kind of fitted. It worked, um, and that's kind of where we cut our teeth really, and. Um, Then we discovered there was a whole folk scene out there that we could actually then tap into, which is quite handy.
0: A niche market that existed that you weren't aware of. But interesting, right? Most people do come up through those folk clubs, you know, and then potentially go into like the 12 bar rather than the other way around. So to have done it that way is fairly unorthodox.
3: Yeah, actually, it's good though. I mean, um, you certainly do learn fast. And one of our first little gigs we did, we were in Chelsea, we played. Bar in Chelsea, we would kind of go and do open mic nights and you'd get paid anything, but you'd kind of go in and do stuff. And it was a night, I think, when Chelsea had been playing a football match and it was full of all of these football fans. And I'm there singing, playing my little whistle. And actually, it didn't go too badly. So, you know, kind of when you can win over a football group like that, you're doing all right.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, there's the mark of respect that I think if you can win over a football crowd, you can win over anyone. <laughs>
1: For sure, for sure. And I think like talking about, uh, you know, you and Stu coming from quite uh, different musical backgrounds, you and classical, him and sort of more pop and punk sensibility. I kind of love that you guys very accidentally stumbled into traditional music and what, like 10, 15 years later, now you're just a, a staple of the scene for your songwriting and your interpretation of traditional song. I think that's a really... Um, exciting thing for people to hear because often as Pinky said you know there's this view that you have to grow up with the heritage of folk music to really get it and you know so obvious so obviously it's much more about kind of your ability to tell stories and observe regardless of your musical background right
3: and it can be quite intimidating when you do go into that folk scene and you do feel like everybody knows each other and they have come up through that scene, but you, they haven't and the respect is still there. People will you know, pay attention regardless. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that was harder, I think, kind of trying to put your teeth in there and, and get in with that sort of thing. And there was a, a, an element where you would definitely feel a little bit like, oh, we belong here. Um, but no, it was it was good. And and I know you've, you've been talking to Kath, mm. as Kath Roberts from Catherine and Sean Lakeman, and they were certainly very much really supportive of us when we were starting off. And um Sean heard, I think our first album, he got in touch and asked us to go like, if we could go and support Seth. And it was just at that time when Seth Lakeman had um, had the Mercury um, nomination. So for us going on that tour, we were out there seeing in front of some fantastic fans and um, definitely really helped. Um, but yeah, it was, it's been it's
1: been a bit of a journey, but yeah, unexpected, but fantastic. So, of course, you've talked about that you met when you were 16 and um, childhood sweethearts going through all of this thing, making music together and wanted, wondered if you'd reflect on your experience of being a couple and working together. And now, of course, your parents as well, and how that balance works in practice and how you streamlined it through the years to kind of make it the most creative experience possible. Well, um, we met when we were 16, but
3: we uh, we were best friends for quite a few years before anything happened. I, I always had other boyfriends and she would kind of try and pursue me, but I was always too busy with other other boys. There. <laughs> um, we were very, we were extremely close. We would hang out all the time. Um, and I think having that friendship there has always been a massive basis. We kind of respected each other straight away, and our musical abilities, you know, was kind of coming from those different scenes, we could see what you, each other could do. Um, and there was absolute mutual respect and you know, admiration of each other and what we could do. We could do. Um, so I think having that kind of basis of friendship has always just made everything easy. We kind of, I don't know how we do it, to be honest. Everyone asks this, but I have no clue. We get on really well. There's, we hardly ever argue, to be honest. I mean, we kind of get on each other's nerves occasionally, but. Um, I I guess for years and years, we've constantly been together. If we're not on the road, we're at home. Um, And then, yeah, obviously having a child together um, has, we're we're together more. But what has been fantastic about kind of sharing all these experiences, especially being parents together, is how much Stu can be around. Um, I know there's been a lot of, you know, know, if you've got a a husband or even as a wife, you might have to go up and do it and do various jobs. But because our lives are so integral and everything is connected we can share uh, everything so he's been able to be around seeing her grow up kind of really just taking 50 50 with all childcare, which is, which is you know she would go off and take her to all of some of the baby groups and he loved it <laughs> loves going there and having a chat with all of the um the women but yeah i think it's just this absolute mutual respect with each other and We've been together so long working together we just know each other inside out and and on stage that kind of really helps um if we're you know if one of us has gone wrong on stage the other one just knows straight away and can just pick it up or um singing together like our we will automatically just put harmonies together and i think they're just i don't know it's i don't know
1: what it is it's like some magical thing <laughs> but there but um that's really lovely to hear and that and the, it reflects right with the audience you know you get the sense when you're at a Megson gig that people are um not just invested in your music but they're invested in you too you know and I, and i mean that not in a creepy way but like you know it's it's a real um it's a real personal thing to share music and it's really personal to share the music that you make with the person that you love. And I think audiences in the, in, uh, you know, when they're good, they respond really well to that. So I wondered if you'd walk us through how you guys write together.
3: Um, I mean, I, Stu is, I would say the main musical writing genius. Um, but there's a lot of bouncing ideas off each other. Um And, I, I mean, to be fair, I would say often, because I, I, you know, he does do 50-50 with the childcare, but there's, you know, that maternal instinct to say, I'll more likely want to take her and do something. So he will find that he has more time to sit and write than I do. Um, and he'll come up with new ideas. Um, but they will always, he'll always bring us to me and we'll bounce each other these ideas off each other a lot um there's a lot of songs (laughs) he'll hate me for when he'll come to me and go I've got this new song and he'll play it and I'll sit there and go um but what does it mean what are you trying to say there is that the sort of sort of thing that we would say and songs often go to the wayside when I kind of get involved a little bit um so there's a lot of that there is also the times when we will sit down and, and completely write a song together um with with one maybe one idea and kind of stew and maybe noodle some guitar ideas there. And we will, um, but with those sort of songs when we sit down and write together, we very much have a concept of, this is what we want this song to be about. And often we'll maybe have like a few lyrics that we will kind of bring and then we will build on it from there. Um, so it is kind of, we don't have one way of um, working together, um, but very much kind of like when we when we have the song we come to record that and put that down, there is very, very much like, kind of know which what each other will do in terms of harmonies and that sort of thing um so yeah it's quite a natural thing i guess when we come together to, to to do those songs but um yeah there's a there is a lot i think we're very much we when we try and do our songs we want we don't want them just to be kind of a generic song we want to say something a lot um and a lot of them all to do with kind of people and personal things that have happened or we want people to identify a lot with the songs that we do. So there is a lot of um, kind of editing, I guess, that goes on to really hone that song to make it what it is. So they're the things that take a long, long time. So even down to like little individual words, like, "Mm, no, that's not quite right, that we wouldn't say that. So how can we say that better? So, yeah.
0: And is there a sense within any of that? I guess just thinking, you know, you write children's songs and you write political songs and you write songs about coming from the Northeast. Do you feel like they gravitate in a certain way? Or would you say it's all very much like it depends on the mood and depends on what you're trying to do in terms of how you build it together?
3: Um, I think it does. I think because we're both from the Northeast and we both really identify with a certain area and um, we've both been brought up, you know, very similar households, um, backgrounds. I think we definitely do gravitate tw- towards those sort of things. And those northern songs, they really do pull towards us. Um, I mean, we, we live in Cambridge now. We've been here for um, 12 years or something. But even, I mean, yeah, now we, are, we will occasionally write a song about the area where we are living now. But that's kind of, it's hard to, I don't know. It almost feels like you're a bit of an imposter writing a song about that. You know it's even though we haven't lived in the northeast for ages that's kind of I, I think it's because it's our heritage and because where we were both brought up um that is very much definitely a, um, a pull um and politically I, I guess you know we've got very much similar political views so we will see things that are happening and maybe want to say something about that and um and definitely yeah and uh, the kids songs are just fun <laughs>
0: for everyone i think though <laughs> not just for you too but for the audience as well definitely sat through a many a Megson kids show without <laughs> children <because they're>
3: great. <laughs> <That's interesting. laughs> we wanted when we um set out to do the children's songs when we first did the album i wanted to be able to sit and listen to that myself um You know, you do listen to a lot of children's music as a new parent and it drives you a little bit crazy. So you want to be able to have something you can listen to in the car, even
1: if they're not there and quite happily sit there and sing along. So yes. It is a tremendous record and I've worked quite a lot with um, David Gibb, who is a folk musician, but has focused his last uh, four albums on making great family music, kind of sits with your album really well, this notion that it's got to be quality music. And he put it really in a really interesting way to me. He said, when it comes to literature, we want quality for our children. We judge it, but when it comes to music, we're really happy to feed them rubbish and so it's like his mission to make the kind of music that is just great for everybody to enjoy and to uplift you know folks like yourself and other artists doing just these brilliant brilliant uh records it's really really fun people should definitely listen to it regardless as to whether they've got small humans in their lives and um, i just wanted to heart back because something really interesting you kept using the phrase would we say that and I love that because obviously there must be a strong sense between you that there is one coherent voice that Megson has and is, and that's the blend of yours and Stu's views, I guess, and musical intakes. But, you know, would, would you both say that, you know, would we say that?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, yes, definitely. And, you know, if Stu had done a song and he was like, oh, I, I think I'd like you to sing this. If it didn't fit with how I would say something or feel, it would just guess it would it would go. Um, but yeah, I think there was very much that we we don't wanna I think music's very it should be a very honest thing. So to kind of pretend or sing something or say something that wouldn't say who we were, then I, it, it wouldn't make it, it wouldn't make the cut. It's gotta be yeah. authentic. Absolutely. Even when we find traditional songs to be honest, at, I find it quite hard to sing something that I would feel was quite just a twee generic folk song.
1: It would have to say something, even then. Too right, because otherwise we're in danger of perpetuating women singing twee folk songs. (laughs) We we mustn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: But I guess that, you know, that kind of wee question ties in, right, to something we've been exploring with or something we explored earlier with, Catherine was about whether or not she felt like being part of a duo and being part of a duo that's a relationship meant there had been times where she had been overlooked as kind of an equal partner in that do you feel like that's something you've experienced in terms of being in a partnership with your husband
3: I personally I don't really feel like that but I don't know if that's because when we meet people or we come to a venue or we meet promoters we come across as a strong team like there's no way Stu would kind of push himself forward or some I don't know maybe that kind of vibe we give off makes makes yeah that that not that happens so much um, I don't
0: know um, well or maybe something in what you said about the fact you know that comment right that Stu wouldn't push himself forward I think is something we've heard from Catherine you know that sense of actually the male being a really strong ally like and yeah. recognizing her power and Stu recognizing your power as an equal Absolutely. partner yeah. right becomes important
3: yeah so if we went somewhere there, w- there would be no question you know Stuart would more than happily say go and ask Debs about that he wouldn't ever take any sort of control because that's not how we work so yeah it's very much an equal footing and yeah hopefully that comes across and hopefully that's
1: why I personally haven't really experienced that as much mm. um well it sends a message doesn't it It sets a tone because you're a pair you're able to set a tone of respect that other people can follow right in a way that um perhaps kind of like less equal partnerships or solo artists are unable to kind of uh, navigate in such a in such a in such a way I think yeah being that strong
3: partnership obviously does does help I think obviously if you weren't then yeah
1: I don't know we're glad you haven't experienced loads of like underhand misogyny and people assuming you hadn't contributed to the songs or were just the pretty face or anything like that. This is good. This is good to hear. Yeah. Well done, folks. You I'm smashed sure. it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's also um, our,
3: our probably our banter on stage as well because we kind of bounce off each other. There's no, it's not like, Oh, I just stand there and sing the songs very much. We're equally, speaking about things and producing, and yeah. So I think when the audience come off, they very much will come and talk to both of us. I wouldn't feel like one of us was a just there to kind of be the backup singer almost, you know?
0: But that's, that's the important aspect, isn't it? As we said, you know, that kind of equality on stage and the capacity for you both to step in and own that, as Lucy said, like it sets the tone, it sets the marker of it being, know a partnership and a duo rather than a kind of backing singer to someone else's fiddle or whatever like yeah
1: I'm really interested with artists uh, like yourselves who you know (laughs) have been going for long enough to have seen the folk scene in a few different iterations already what you think is the next steps for coming out of the pandemic in terms of creating a space that feels more open, more inclusive, safer. You know, have you experienced things or seen things that people are doing well or that you think could be different? Like what would what would be your takeaway or your take forward almost? Um, I think
3: definitely all we've done quite a few live streams, which have been fantastic. And I think there's definitely going to be a place for that. Um because I know personally we've watched things where we wouldn't have been able to go out as a parent because we've got to no we don't got to but you know we, we can't always just go out gallivanting um so we've watched things as as even as families we've watched kind of live streams or gigs or theater things together which has been brilliant and we've been able to therefore share that with Lola where we might not be able to have taken her to a venue because it would have been too late by the time we got there and drove home and that sort of thing. So I think there's definitely a place for that. Um, I think as um, performers, there's been, I always feel like there's always been so much pressure to kind of, when you've booked a, a run of gigs, that you must be on your A game and be there and perform. And I think this has made everyone realise that sometimes it's okay to cancel people will understand you know there's been such a the amount of gigs we've done where we felt absolutely dreadful and you kind of just get through them because you feel like you have to go and do that gig where now I I would take the view and I would like to think that people would be understanding and people would have been understanding but you put that pressure on yourself as an artist I think I've got to be there I've got to do it and I think now there's going to be a lot more hopefully understanding if somebody says you know what I really don't feel well. I wanna do this gig when I can do it to the best of my ability for you. And I think hopefully that will steer and that people can take that away as well. well oh. Maybe
0: also, right, the potential to not have to ram a tour schedule back to back to back in a way that wears people out. You know, I think the other thing maybe that will come out of all of this is our capacity to take things a little bit slower. Yeah,
3: definitely.
0: No hurtling through life.
3: Yeah, I'd like, to- like to hope that it's that it's important to be out there and to play songs and for people to hear hear the music and share those experiences but it shouldn't become pressured it should
1: yeah And it can feel that way, can't it? Because to have a successful tour, you often need a new recording. To be able to afford the recording, you have to have had a successful tour. And kind of to keep up the momentum of funding yourself as a freelance artist, you have to kind of have this pattern, don't you? Or previously, many of us have have had. And the more people I speak to, that now we're in this place where we talk a little bit more about, whoa, I never would have let myself get off the treadmill. And actually, it's been quite nice, you know. I wonder if you're right. We'll all go forward with this better sense of balance, and that'll actually be brilliant for our audiences because we'll be refreshed. We'll be in a better, a better place going forward for all of that. For all of that stuff, I love what you said about you know live streams making it more accessible to you as a family, and of course, we're aware that that also makes it accessible to a number of other people who wouldn't feel welcome or wouldn't even have access to the sort of venue venues that a lot of folk music takes place in right but I wondered if you had any thoughts on uh, seeing as you guys do your family show at like normal times of day where families can come on how that works and whether the folk scene could adapt more to this afternoon model of well because everybody's saying like we need young people to love folk music well how do we if they can't come into our venues <laughs> it in fact um couple of years ago hello doggy doggy's trying to get
3: up um a couple of years ago we did a matinee tour because that's what we want as parents we wanted to be able to take we kept saying you know wouldn't it be amazing if we could take lola to go and see some of these gigs that are on and for her to have that experience but they're always at start at eight o'clock at night and it's it's not possible so we did a run of matinee gigs and we said bring your children if they make some noise it's fine don't worry we want everyone to feel welcome and enjoy that and it was Such a good run of gigs, and um, like you said, the the amount of people who would bring their families, and then their kids loved it. And also, there was a lot who came along because they had listened to our family, the children's songs. But you know, the the kids were maybe like eight or nine, ten. Thought they were, you know, couldn't listen to that anymore. But they loved the fact that they could still come to a Megson gig and hear a mix of some of our other songs. Um, So yeah, I would love for things to be a lot more matinees, even just starting earlier sometimes like you know when we do a gig and it's you've got to travel and which it's part of your job it's great we love it but when sometimes they don't start to like half eight nine o'clock and like seriously does anybody really want that you know people want to have a nice <laughs> evening and watch the music go home and then somebody have maybe a, a glass of wine afterwards if, if that's if it's not too late you know and yeah I mean there is a place for some of those later gigs but I think there's definitely a, a place for people to be able to bring families and have yeah an afternoon concert an evening concert it's not too late you know
0: oh, yeah. and it's that you know adds in all of the kind of travel elements and stuff always said you know part of the reason I love the folk scene is often because gigs do start that bit earlier and they're not starting at half nine at night which means yeah. by the time I've driven to wherever I need to get to you know it's midnight on a Tuesday night and then I'm supposed to get up and go to work the next day like you know consuming music in a live format should be something we could do really easily not something that means you wipe yourself out for a working day the next day. because then it becomes a treat doesn't it like it becomes different
3: yeah and actually on a tour as well if you were kind of doing a run of gigs that are like afternoons or earlier evening you're not going to burn out as much you know you, you've got a bit of chance to to go back and have a decent sleep rather than arriving home at two in the morning it's,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I just think that'd be great. I might have to book a tour of matinees now, you know, not wait for somebody to suggest it. Follow Megson's lead. And just yeah. do it.
0: i <laughs> concerts with dinner. You could get me straight after work, but I knew I was getting my dinner as well. Great.
3: We've had those. We've had like various ones where it's like a fish and chip supper in the interval. Yeah, the, uh, the matinee ones are great because it's like various people then would bring cakes, you know, you could have a cup of tea and a cake in the interval. No, yeah.
1: brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we definitely need to, you know, invest, in you know, our ideas and our uh, emotional energy as a scene into how we keep our small venues rocking how we help them recover from the pandemic but also you know just just to reflect on the awareness that the folk club scene is dwindling but it doesn't need to be because actually they're the first points of access to this music for so many people it's about fitting into the model that society needs right now which you know surely after all of this is 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 about the balance isn't it is about kind of incorporating um it, it into what you said pinky about making it easy making it let's just make everything easy
3: yeah. and it's kind of that natural place that hopefully you know the smaller venues so they're not going to be rammed full of people people hopefully would feel safer coming to you know a small arts center or a folk club and people hopefully are desperate to get some of that music so yeah, hopefully people people who maybe hadn't thought that they wanted to listen to foot music will give that a go coming out of this. Um, and also I find like the live streams uh, are great because it gives people a chance to listen to that music without taking, without feeling like they've got to risk anything. Like, oh, I don't wanna spend 15 pounds going to a gig for somebody I've not really heard of and I might feel a bit uncomfortable. You can sit at home and go, actually, I love that. You know that safety of your own environment and go you know what next time i'm going to go out and i'm going to be there and, and see it live so
1: yeah hopefully good things will come out good times will come again as a wise band once said <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> oh well thank you so much for talking to us um Debs it's been absolute pleasure to have you here on Thank Folk for Feminism and to get your insights and um we hope to see you on the road again very soon you're welcome be lovely thank you so much to Catherine and Deb for those awesome reflections on their lives in music didn't you think Pinky it was just so refreshing to hear that not all musicians have had an experience of um misogyny or um you know any gender-based bias against them um something obviously that we don't hear regularly on our show and I think we should celebrate it
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's so nice, right? After several months about talking about all the things at the sharp end of the stick, um, to have individuals, you know, and women talking to us about having more positive experiences in the industry and how great the scene can be. Certainly. So if you want to find out more about both Katherine and Deb, then you can visit Katherine uh, Roberts and Sean and megsonmusic.co.uk respectively to find out more about the partnerships and duos and upcoming tours and information that both couples have.
1: Yeah and there are tours so do go and check out dates. We also wanted to let you know that one of our fantastic supporters English Folk Expo has been running a series of webinars um, and there are a breadth of interesting topics and discussions going on over the next coming months so make sure you go and check out English Folk Expo on social media or you head to their website englishfolkexpo.com to find out more and to um, sign up for some free and interesting chats
0: and before we leave you today, we should flag that we are undergoing a slight change in programming next month as we start to reign Thank Folk for Feminism into one show a month. It's been six months since we first launched this joyful beast and I think anybody who knows Lucy and I will recognise that we often dive foot first into things, not necessarily recognising all of the work that it may entail. Um, and regular listeners will know that we have so many fantastic ideas for this to be more than just a podcast and just a platform where we're talking and we want to plan gigs and festivals and work with organizations and individuals to start implementing some of the ideas and changes that we've come up with in the fabulous conversations that we've been having so far.
1: Yeah so we've spent a bit of time reflecting about how we can make that happen because we also want to take time to connect with you folks better on social media. For example we want to host live chats so that you can get involved in real time and ask questions and shape the conversations and yeah as Pinky said between our actual jobs our lives and our passions taking this exciting step forward for Thank Folk for Feminism just isn't possible while still producing two episodes a month um, never say never though um, I'm sure when we've hit our stride with broadening TFFF scope um, we might come back to the schedule that you've come to expect but for now we'll have a new juicy conversation for you every first Wednesday of the month um, with a bunch of mini but interesting bits to be found by, um, by joining our mailing list or following us on social media Media, and we'll still be whacking out fantastic playlists for you to listen to. And we hope that this will just increase our opportunity to connect with you.
0: In the meantime, thank you so much for being here with us and for joining us so far on what's been an absolutely wonderful journey. Thank Folk for Feminism is becoming a force for change. And that's very much down to you, uh, your, our listeners lending your ears, and to the tremendous guests that we've interviewed so far.
1: Indeed. So we'll see you soon. Take care.
0: Thank Folk for Feminism is a Betty Beetroot production.